Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Good morning. you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Galatians. It's before the book of Ephesians. You know, up to this point, what we've seen is that Paul is writing to these churches that he started because he's there's a problem. They are leaving the idea of the gospel that states that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And because some Judaizers have come in, and Paul has firmly established that he is an apostle like the eleven. He's bona fide. He was commissioned by Christ himself and not man. His, his authority and his commission to the Gentiles is on the same equal footing as the disciples. So there's no question that Paul has every right and every reason to defend the gospel. And that the Holy Spirit who empowered Peter, James, and John is the same Holy Spirit who empowers Paul to share the gospel of the Gentiles. And now what he's going to do is he's going to continue to dig a little deeper into the idea of the gospel of grace. He is going to give us the very nature of the gospel. So I'm going to ask that you stand as we read Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 15. Paul says, we, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one, no one is justified. But if we in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant to sin? Well, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we praise you for grace. We praise you for our salvation, which is a gift to us. Lord, help us to understand that it's not about what we do. It's, It's not about us being good enough. It's not about us following laws, though we will about Jesus. It's about having faith in Christ that saves us. Help us to understand that, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. What Paul is trying to begin to do here is he's trying to establish a common ground. He's preparing the church to hear probably the the most important statement that he's going to give in these verses, and that's in verse 16. Because what Paul basically is saying is there is not a single Jew who has ever been justified by keeping the law. No one. 
I mean, we, we go back to the Old Testament and we see, what, you know, it, it, says that, it says that Abraham what? He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't the law and we didn't, he didn't even have the law at that point in time. Throughout all the wanderings of the Jewish people in the desert, it was never the laws, though they broke them many times, that justified them. Now we might be thinking, as Paul has said, he says, you know, we who are Jews are not, are not Gentile sinners. We're like, man, that's kind of rough, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, I mean, that's calling names. But what he's doing, he's, he's using the same terms that the Judaizers were using, trying to get the churches to understand that I need to, he's countering the claims that they're making by saying that no one is justified by works. Whether they're Jew or Gentile, and we're all sinners. And what Paul draws upon here is actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If we go back to the book of Psalm, Psalm 143.2, David writes, Enter not into judgment with your servant. He's telling God, don't judge me, Lord. Why? For no one living is righteous before you. David knew. He is appealing to the fact that you and I are not righteous before God. We cannot be. There's nothing we can do. There's no work that we can do that makes us good enough. You know, my kids, I have chores for them to do. There's things I want them to do. Jobs they need to do. Attitudes they need to have. There are things that you and I need to do. There are attitudes you and I need to have. But that is not what makes us righteous. The only thing that makes us righteous is the grace of God. The grace he gave us by sending Jesus to die for us. We all stand condemned before God. Paul says in Romans 3.24, by works of the law, no human, human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Being Jewish will not save you. Attending church every Sunday morning will not save you. Reading the Bible every day will not save you. Not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just telling you, it will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. Because before God, all are condemned. We are all condemned people. Thought you were going to come and be lifted up. Not today. <laughs> Seems like. But I think about it. That's something we need to dwell on. That's something we need to think about. We all, we all think of ourselves as good people, right? I'm a good person. I don't, I don't, do, I don't murder. I love my neighbors. I don't, I don't steal. I... That's not what it's about. It's not about that. Being good will not save you. 
But see, the, the, the thing is, is if, if we can't, and this is the way our human mind works, if I can't find salvation by obedience, if we can't have salvation by the good things that we do, then how are we going to escape the wrath and judgment of God? Isn't that how we think today? You know, as, as, long as, as long as I keep the law, as long as I, or at least don't get caught, as, as long as I keep the law, if I don't speed, the police aren't going to pull me over. So I'm a good citizen because I don't do those things. But that's not what it's about. Only grace can save us. The gospel of justification, we're going to talk about that word in a moment, by faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone. Nobody else, nothing else can save us except for belief in Christ. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why in verse 16, what Paul says, this key thing he's telling them, he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, meaning the Jews, also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. If we look at those verses, and we look at verse 16, we see that Paul uses the term justification three times. So we know this word is key. And he's consistent in his admission of salvation only through faith. So let's, un- let's understand what justification is. Probably the most simplest way to think about this is when you are justified, you are declared righteous. It's actually a legal term. It's, it'd be like in the Old Testament, in, in the law, it'd be like going to court, and, and what happens is the Lord condemns the person who's wrong, and he justifies the person who's right. But the thing about justification is justification does not change us inside. We need to understand that. That's a completely different term. That's sanctification. Justification just makes us right before God. Sanctification is what God does in us after that. So just because you have been justified does not mean that you are sanctified. It's a process. But what justification is, is God making the declaration about us. It's an act of God where he states that we, we as sinners are righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make us holy. It only declares us not guilty before God. That's why it's a legal term. And the great thing about justification is it's free. All we have to do is believe and we get Salvation and justification. But what if we live a perfect life? What if my life and your life is in perfect symmetry to the law? What if we keep all the commandments? What if, and, and, and including that, we keep all of man's laws? I don't go any faster than 55 miles an hour out here on Highway 1. That's the law. And we're supposed to obey the law. So what happens when I go 56 miles an hour or 55 and a half miles an hour? I've broken the law. 
But what if I don't? What if I keep, we keep everything in perfect symmetry? I mean, look at Matthew 19, 17. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, which is God. He says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Isn't Jesus telling me that if I just keep all the laws, I'll enter life? See, this is the problem we have today when we take one verse and we base all of our theology on one verse. Yes, that is what Jesus is saying. But he said a whole lot more about salvation and about justification than just that one verse. But what if I do? What if, I, what if we keep the law perfectly? The problem is we can't. We can't keep the law. And there's also another problem is the fact that, you know, it's not the law that makes us good. Why was the law given? The law was given because if it wasn't for the law, we would not know what sin is. That's what it says. It was to show us how bad we really are. And we cannot keep it perfectly. And this is what James says about not keeping the law perfectly in James 2. He says, For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. For who he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder... You have become a transgressor of the law. And we say, well, I haven't committed adultery or murder, so I haven't broken the law. You have broken the law. Because if we look past our actions, and if we look into our hearts, if we read our minds and we examine our motives, what we're going to find is that multiple times we break God's law. We have a thought that we shouldn't have about somebody. We have a thought about ourselves. Which is, is not what we think more highly of ourselves than we should. We break God's law. Humans are stubborn and will never humbly come to God on their own. This is why God it says God calls us. He calls us. We wouldn't come to him if he wasn't calling us. It's like taking a test. Now, you can take a test. Let's say you have a test, and it's 100 questions. And you get 98 of them correct. What do you have? 98%. What's a 98%? Well, in my book, that's an A+. Right? That's pretty good. But the law doesn't work that way. God doesn't doesn't grade the law in that way. He doesn't grade it on a curve. There are, if there are 100 questions, and those 100 questions are worth one point, what if you miss one? What do you get? An F. You fail. That's the law. The law is you have to keep them all perfectly or else you fail all of them. See, there, there are people in the world and people in churches today who believe that if you keep the law and you just keep following the rules, you're a good Christian. But we know that we don't follow principles. We follow a Savior named Jesus. He is the only one who obeyed the law perfectly. He is the only one who got all the questions right. 
on the test so that you and I could have salvation when we trust in Him and believe. His test score becomes our test score. And then because of that, we can now live out the moral law, which is what we're supposed to be doing. That's the sanctification. We are justified and then sanctified. And he works in us to help us keep the moral law. But we don't keep the moral law as a way of salvation, but it's our way of glorifying God with new hearts. As I said, the purpose of the law was to show us our sin. People of the world think that the way that we need to improve, you know, if we just, the way to improve the morals in this life is to have more laws, right? So uh, let's just take a very non controversial topic like gun laws. If we just put more gun laws on the books, right, then there will be less guns on the street. Does it work? No. It doesn't work. Because the people who, uh, the criminals who are on the street really don't care about gun laws. So it doesn't work. Because you're dealing with people who are broken. But if we just make more laws, we'll, be grow, we'll progress towards holiness in the world, we'll increase obedience to the law, and the more laws we have, the more obedient we can be. And then for good measure, what we say is, well, if somebody breaks the law, then there must be swift and strong judgment. We've got to be careful with that. What if I break the laws of God? Does there need to be swift and strong judgment? Oh, I didn't mean with me, Right? We have to understand this, that there is never justification in the law. No forgiveness, no release from guilt. In fact, the law will never say anything good about you. It becomes our worst nightmare. Because it's always pointing out our failures. But what the gospel says is something different. It tells us that we can be justified by faith in Christ who died on a cross for our sins. And what we must do is we must repent of those sins, stop doing them, and turn and believe in Him and trust Him for our daily walk in our lives, which is the sanctification portion. The law does something very deadly because what it does, it allows us to foolishly think that if we keep the law, that we can be righteous. It allows us to be Pharisees who look at those who haven't kept the law and we look at people with contempt because, oh, well, they don't keep the law. Remember that thing I said about the thoughts we have where we think too highly of ourselves? Those are Pharisees. And we are guilty of it all the time. But our misunderstanding of the law and the purpose of the law does not make it bad. The law is not bad. Who in their right mind thinks that honoring your father and mother is a bad thing? Who in their right mind thinks that thou shalt not murder is a bad thing? The law is good. The problem is that we mishandled it. We have used it to glorify ourselves and condemn others. 
And Paul says this in Romans 7. He says, then what shall I say? That the law is sin? <laughs> By no means. Yet, if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It was ignorance before. Now we have the law that tells us what is sin and what is not sin. But the law is not bad. It's just that we handle it incorrectly. And, and if you really want to think about it, without the law, we would never have known the grace of God. Because if we could be saved by keeping the law, then we wouldn't need the grace of God. But we do. We need the grace of God. So what we do is we take the Bible and we read it and we look at it and we look at it and we see it because it is a mirror. It looks at us. It sees us. It shows us where we are wrong and where we're right. It teaches us how we can allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of us to change us. That's the surrender. We need to surrender. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. We cannot begin to do what it says until we can see what we really are. If you approach the Bible with the thought that, you know, I'm perfect, I don't, you know, I know all this stuff, you're never going to learn anything and you're never going to change. We have to approach the Bible with, I know nothing. Show me. Show me. We have to see our sin before we can see the Savior. And then we can turn to Him, trusting in Him for our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He lived He lived for us and He died for us. He kept the law for us perfectly and fulfilled it. That doesn't mean that I don't know, I can go and I can break the law. Paul says that in Romans. I don't, just because Jesus fulfilled the law and kept the law doesn't mean no, I can break the law. Should I sin more so that grace can abound? No, absolutely not. Of course not. But if I'm so worried about keeping the law that I don't believe that Jesus Christ saved me, I'm still a sinner. Unsaved by grace. Because he declares us righteous because of our faith in him. Paul goes on, he says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners as Christ and a servant of sin, what he is saying is, if, if you and I seek grace and yet we still sin, does that mean that Jesus is a servant to sinners? Well, no. Paul makes three assertions here. So I want us to understand these statements. First, he says, you know, it is true that they, the Jewish Christians, they're seeking justification in Christ. They are. And I think Paul is including the Judaizers in this, that they, they really are seeking that. And we'll talk about why, maybe why they, they wanted to go a step further. It's also true that they are sinners, as all of us are. We're all sinners. But do these two assertions mean that Jesus is a servant to sin? Well, no. See, what the, what the Judaizers are trying to do, they're trying to, they're trying to eliminate something that's even in the church today. And what is called, it is called antinomianism. Big word. What that means is you take a biblical concept, a biblical idea, and you take it to the point where it becomes unbiblical. 
Yes, Jesus saves by grace. But you know what? In order to have that, you have to obey the law. You have to keep the law to be saved by grace. That's not what the scriptures say. That if you don't keep the law, if you don't keep the Jewish law especially, this is not the moral law. They're not talking about moral law. They're talking about the ceremonial laws, which are done. They deal with the tabernacle. Jesus fulfilled that. But he didn't stop the moral laws. The moral laws are restated in the new covenant. They were attempting to stop this. So what are some of the other things we do with antinomianism? One other thing we do is we'll say, well, if I'm saved by grace, I don't have to worry. If I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. No, that's wrong. Just because Jesus saved me by grace doesn't mean I can continue to live in my sin. And we can have discussions about are you once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation? Whether you're Calvinist or Arminian. But the truth of it is, you cannot continue in your sin if you say you're saved by grace. You have to stop. But it's not the stopping that saves us. It was Christ, belief in Christ that saved you. This is the result of your salvation. Stopping, repenting, and moving forward, walking in Christ. As I said, Paul Paul argued this in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Because the more I sin, the more grace I get, right? Isn't that a good thing? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? A common argument against the whole idea of salvation by grace is that it allows people to continue, it encourages people to continue to sin. And people might think that they can continue to sin if all their sins are forgiven on the cross. I mean, Jesus forgave all of our sins, past, present, and future. So if tomorrow I decide to commit a sin, it's already forgiven. Why do I have to worry about it? Why don't I just do what feel good, feels good? Welcome to the progressive church, because that's what they believe. It's not right. It's wrong. Because you have to question your original salvation. Were you? Did you truly believe? And if you did, you're going to have fruit from that. That's how we can tell if somebody's a believer, because there's fruit. And the fruit of that is that you don't live a sinful life anymore. You live your life for Christ. You're not about, talking about what you want, what's best for you. You're talking about what's best for Christ. What does he want in your life? See, what happens when we are saved by grace, we get a new heart. But if we don't, if it wasn't true, we keep our old heart. And when we know, I've told you, the human heart is what? Deceptive. It lies to us. Paul says, I appeal to you, in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not live your life like you are not a believer. Do not live your life in a way that leads to sin, but live your life in sacrifice to God, living daily. Does that mean you're not going to struggle with sin? No, you are going to struggle with temptation. But no temptation has been given to man that is not normal. God does not provide a way out. It's common to us. We all, no matter how long you've been a believer, will have to deal with temptation. But we have to live our lives as a living sacrifice to God. Because what happens if we don't? We're going back to where we were. And that's what Paul says in verse 18 of Galatians 2. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He tore down this idea of salvation by the law. If he goes back to it, he is a sinner. He's broken the law. The grace of God tore it down in his life. Because now he's striving and we should be striving to please God. But see, if he goes back to, thank you, if he goes back to belief that the law saves, he's no longer pleasing God. He's attempting to please God by the works of the law. And this is what it seemed that Peter was trying to do by walking away from the Gentiles at dinner. He was going back to the salvation through the law. And the Judaizers, the Judaizers they wanted the Gentiles to do it. And if we do that, we truly are breakers of the law, and we have no salvation. See, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we and, and you must understand what this is. This is not just a this is just not a mental a mental choice that we make, that's part of it. But it's, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It is a whole person giving ourselves to Christ. It's not just, oh, yeah, I'm going to believe in him. It's, no, my heart is now turned to God. I want what God wants. I'm going to sacrifice things to God, not to myself anymore. I'm not here to please me. I'm here to please him. And how do I know what pleases him? Well, you better get into your Bible because that's what, how you, you get to know God. The old religious system is gone. There's only sufficient the only place we can find sufficient justification is through Jesus Christ alone. And that will lead us to an ethical lifestyle. Jesus did what the law was unable to do. Paul goes on, he says, For though, though I died to the law, I died, through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Well, there you go. If I die to the law, I'm going to live to God. I'm going to give my life as a living sacrifice to God. I'm going to live a life that is righteous. Not because, not because I need it for my salvation or to maintain my salvation. I'm doing it as a response to my salvation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave my, himself for me. So we have four propositional statements in these verses. You know, Paul is, is stating that a believer cannot be a transgressor of the law because we, when we believe in Christ, we are cut off from the law for the sake of our salvation. We died to it. Why? Because now we live to God. If, if you were to decide, let me get, just give you an example of what this would look like. If you were to decide that you no longer wanted to live in the United States, and sometimes I wonder if I would blame you, and you wanted to move to Costa Rica and become a Costa Rican citizen. I had to pick some place where it was beautiful and sunny. If that's what you wanted to do, you would you would deny, you would give up your citizenship in the United States and you would move to Costa Rica. Some places I know they allow you to have dual, but let's say you wanted to completely cut ties and you move to Costa Rica. You would now live according to the Costa Rica, not according to the United States. You can't go can't break the law in Costa Rica and say, well, that's not the way it is in the United States. That's why I did it. And see, that's what what. What Paul is saying here is that when we become a believer in Christ, we eliminate, we kill the religious system of keeping the law for salvation. Now we have the law of Christ. That's what we live under. And what did Jesus say the two greatest commandments are? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these rest the, the, the writings and the prophets. All of this. Secondly, being crucified in Christ incorporates us into the works of Jesus Christ. We are spiritually identified with Christ in his death. Because remember, here's what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you and I believe in Christ Jesus, we have been crucified with him. Okay? We are identified with his works. But our lives, thirdly, our lives are now lived under the ethical guidance of Jesus Christ through the help of the Holy Spirit. Our former lives that were controlled by sin, that were controlled by the fact we knew the law, the law shows us our sin, that's done. We are now controlled by Christ. He lives in us and through us. Sometimes, though, we do this. We struggle with that. That's our sin nature. Paul says, put it to death. And the fourth statement he's making is, if Christ is living in and through us, then we are no longer slaves to our fleshly desires. Oh, we're like, man, but pastor, huh, I, I struggle with this. I really, I really struggle with this fleshly desire. Yeah, you need to control it. And how do you do that? By surrendering it to Christ. Praying being held accountable, being in his word. No temptation. You're not suffering any temptation that's not common to us. And God will always provide a way out. That is Christ living in and through us. We are committed to Christ who loved us and gave his life for us so that we could have salvation. And in these four statements, we have the very foundation for our life in Christ. 
We as believers in Christ have died to the law by our union with Christ and his crucifixion. Now we live as an existence of faith in Christ, manifesting itself daily in our lives. Paul finishes with, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. See, our faith does not nullify God's grace. If, if it was possible for us to live perfectly by the law, then why did Christ die? Why did he die? What a waste. This is, this is part of the problem with some of the progressive churches today who will say, well, you know, first of all, they don't believe in original sin. They don't believe in sin per se anyways at all. They say, well, then why did Christ have to die? Well, he was a good man, and he was just a martyr for the, for the, for the faith. He wasn't for the religion of the day. He, it, wasn't, it wasn't for any big purpose that he died. He's like all the other thousands of martyrs throughout history. He's just a man. But Christ died to pay the price for our sins so that we could be justified because justice had to occur. And the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die. It was either going to be you or somebody else. It was Christ who took the sin of us all on him. If God's intent was to have salvation come through the law, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to go to the cross and to suffer and die. And in turn, if that doesn't happen, then the promise of resurrection is nullified. Because you and I are dead with Christ. We are being crucified with Christ, but we are also raised with Him in the resurrection. It's the hope that we have. And if that promise of resurrection is not true, if it's not real, then we're to be pitied. What a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time because it is true. If you and I, if we were to imagine that, that we're at work, you know, you're working at your work one day and, and you're, you're listening to the radio and it says there's a big storm coming. I know it's hard to tell that, you know, think about this, but there's a snowstorm coming. Now think about this. You're at work, snowstorm's coming. What's your first thought? I want to get home, right? I want to get home. But they tell you that the main road out of town is closed because of the snowstorm. And then they make this, this kind of humorous little co- uh, comment about the fact that, well, you know that old, that old mountain road, you know, the old logging road? It's available if you want to try that one. You know, they're just kind of joking about it. And you, being who you are, you know, you're like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And about three hours later, you finally get home on a road that was dangerous, unpaved, longer and slower. See, the road many of us want to take that we think leads to God is this big five-lane highway. We want to take the easy route, right? We We want it to be nice and smooth, eight lanes wide. And all along that, that road are all the signs and all the rules of what we're supposed to do. You're only supposed to go this fast. Make sure you're in the right lane. Make sure you're doing this. Make sure you're doing that. That's the what we want. We want it to be easy so I don't have to think about it. But the reality is, is that road is blocked. 
it doesn't get to your destination that you want to get to. So what do you have to do? You have to take the narrow road. That road that is unpaved. That road that has potholes. That road that has hairpin turns. That road that is dangerous. If you look over the side, it's just nothing but a cliff for thousands and thousands of feet. And that's the road you have to take. That is the road that leads to Christ. Leads to salvation. Leads to God. But I don't want to take that road. (laughs) Sorry, it's not about what you want. It's what it is. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to God. The road to the left looks right, doesn't it? Everybody's taking it. That's the way everybody's going. Well, it's got to be. If everybody's doing it, there's got to be something to it, right? It's blocked. You know, the assumed goodness of the human heart and its ability to redeem itself is the world's greatest lie. This road thinks that if we just do the right things, that we will be redeemed by what we do. It was this lie that is believed by every other religious system other than true Christianity. That we can save ourselves. It was that lie that could not tolerate a Savior who came to earth and showed them what goodness really was. They could not tolerate the goodness of God when he walked among them and ultimately they crucified him. But the amazing thing about it is that very event that they intended for evil, God meant as a rescue for us. See, this is the narrow mountain pass which the world finds so unappealing because it takes our trust and our focus off of us. In Sunday school class, we're going to hear today from somebody who says a great line. I love this line. He says, the human soul is self-centered. It's all about me. When in reality, it's not about you at all. It's about him. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. The narrow pass... places our trust in the only place that really matters, and that is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only place we find true salvation. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for your the salvation that you offer as a free gift if we but believe.
is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not a work of our own. But Lord, it doesn't stop there. That's justification. And yes, we need justification, but we also need sanctification. We need to walk. We need to walk in Christ. We need to sacrifice our lives in Christ. Help us to do that. Paul is here in, in, in Galatians is defending the fact of justification. And yes, he's right. No works will ever save us. So help us to see that, that we need Christ every day, living in our lives, to help us in our walk. But then we can also praise Him for that moment of justification that we received when we believed in Him on the cross, dying for us, risen again. That's what the world needs, because the world is taking the left road that leads to destruction. Help us to take the right road that leads to you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.